Oh, we're so excited to have our annual date with Andrew Freeman of AF and Co. and Carbonate. Um, every year, we we gasp with excitement to hear what he's going to come up with with his predictions for hospitality this coming year, 2023. And you've been giving presentations. Uh, and how has that gone? Have you surprised people with what you're predicting for 2023, Andrew? Well, it's a pleasure to be back with you, too. Thank you for having me again. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that people, you know, we go into this report, you know, we start, we're almost starting now on next year already. And when we go into this report, we think, what's this year going to, you know, what are we going to find this year? And because of some of the, you know, the challenges that the industry has faced with staffing challenges and mm, uh, you know, yes. the ongoing battle with, you know, staying healthy, we, you know, we, are, we know that the menus are getting smaller and that there's been some closures. But, you know, sure enough, our industry is very, um, you know, just resilient. And with that comes new trends. So we definitely, uh, well, we, it was our biggest trend report of, uh, in, in the history of the agency because we're celebrating our 15th anniversary. Yeah, I mean, you must have seen a lot in 15 years in, in terms uh, of changes. Andrew, Andrew let's, let's, che- let's check you out because we, a, year, a year ago you presented us with the, your recommendations for what the industry would be like. How, how did you score? <laughs> well, I think I, you know, I'm going to say, you know, every year we usually give ourselves around a 75 to 80 percent. Um, there's certain things that we hit um, definitely, and then there's other, you know, um, you know, th- things that really were more fads than trends, if you will. I think, you know, in our report this year, we looked back over 15 years, and um, you know, it was amazing to see, you know, for instance. The iPhone came out a year before our report came out. Um, Instagram showed up on the scene in these last 15 years. Social media showed up on the scenes in this last 15 years. So, you know, I think where we really scored was the technology aspect of the, you know, the mobile ordering, all all the tech integration into both the hotel and restaurant scene. And, you know, we, you know, we were definitely calling that out last year. And now you can see it's definitely cultural. It's part of the way we, you know, the way restaurants operate right now, you know, the integration of, um, of technology. And then the other thing that I think we definitely uh, called out it was, again, TikTok and the power of influencer and the power of, uh, on the, on the uh, landscape of restaurants. You know, the, you know, the specific trends about, you know, uh, dishes and drinks of the year and all that. We, I, I have to say we usually do a really good job of calling out um, you know, the, the, the ones that we think are going to stick. And we definitely saw, you know, revival cocktails and robots in, being used. And uh, so I, we, I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> now, this Filipino cuisine thing, I think I predict this every year, and I've yet to see it happen. Which one is that? Uh, Filipino. Oh, yeah. Fili- I mean, I will tell you. Uh, we had called it a few years back, and it was like a rising um, cuisine. This year was for sure, you know, the cuisine of the year, um, you know, as it relates to, well, first of all, there's just this fascination with all everything Asian, Asian culture, Asian ingredients, 
you know, uh, everything Asian. But when you look at restaurants like Abaca in San Francisco that has, you know, just got, made the Bonapetit's top uh, list of restaurants, and you look at, you know, um, some of the other more casual uh, Filipino-inspired restaurants, you, you can see that this, the popularity of this cuisine, you know, has just really taken off. So we definitely saw it as the, um, you know, as our, our food of the year this year. Yeah, well, you know, the other one that um, it, it, I keep thinking is going to make a, a big bang, and it, it finally is, is Korean. Why is that? Well, you know, um, it's, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to people are getting a little more educated about the fact that Asia is not just one big place, you know, um, and there's it's just like the, um, you know, Europe, and like even the U.S., there's regions and states and cities, and within all of these, there's and in the case of Asia, there's countries, there's um, there's pockets of you know what I would call deliciousness that come from um, the the immig- families that have immigrated here that have that have raised American-born children that are bringing their their family recipes or their traditions to the mainstream now. And I'd say Korean is a great example of that. And then you also have, you know, Korean barbecue and, the, you know, just some of the... Yeah, that's the food. Yeah, good. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember, I, I really, the first time I remember waking up to the, the rise of the Korean cuisine was when those two guys who discovered this process of fermenting garlic uh, called yeah. us in the middle of the night for black garlic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and subsequently yeah. sent me a lifetime supply of stuff, yeah, which yeah. I can't stand. Yeah. Well, you know, fermentation, as you know, is a uh, one of our trends. And um, yeah, you list that, and I I think that it's. Um, have you seen the new program out of um, uh, Noma? Oh yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I think we should, I, I can't remember. I have to look back to. I'm getting the report, at, you know, to that page on the report, but. We definitely um, cite that as well, and I mean, I think that when you really think about the ferment, you know, the, what's interesting about the fermentation process is that um, you know it's it's this sort of um, it gives everybody this um, umami feel, you know, this texture of uh, deep flavor. Um, we don't call out Noma in the report, but we definitely uh, researched it, and I think it's actually like where it sort of started a little bit. Um, but you know, there's, um, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting process because you can do it with like chart, you know, are you familiar with the charter oak here in yeah. Uh, Napa? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he's, you know, he's using a fermented, a ferment, a fermented soy dip. Um, there's just, it's just a, um, there's a lot of really interesting techniques and I'll say primarily, you know, still has a, a bit of an Asian, you know, flavor to it, but, um, it's just the difference now is it's uh it's a is in the flavor base you know the ingredients you know the the chefs yeah are I mean I, every so chef I talk to has a fermentation lab in his restaurant yeah <laughs> yeah and it's even it's even it's funny it's even it's so it's showing up across cultures and showing up in cocktails um you know it's it's an interesting um the process if you will yeah yeah they, well, we interviewed somebody who wrote a whole book on uh, koji. <laughs> Yeah, that's the basis of it. Yeah, that is the basis of it. Okay, and the the other thing that surprised me um, 
Well, you know, I think that Nigerian cuisine has been on the rise, and I think it's interesting because it, it correlates with the rise in award-winning Nigerian writing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, for, from our point of view, uh, you know, again, looking at Africa in general and all the different, you know, cultures and flavors that come out of that, we just happened to see that, you know, there was uh, – more pop-ups, you know, Nigerian chefs, again, maybe American-born or not, bringing their food style to, and their dishes to, um, to the American uh, culture. There's a, um, uh, you know, there's a Department of Culture in New York, started as a pop-up, and now it's become, you know, a full-service restaurant. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, so there's just, um, you can see um, chefs just not, Maybe not the whole menu, but introducing some of their the you know their their favorites or their flavors and their dishes to you know to menus and you know again um, why is this happening now I think I do say that the pandemic that we were locked in for so long sort of yeah right you know, learning and you know if you're a foodie you're 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 you know you were sort of studying it and learning it and cooking with it. But now that people can get back out, they're you know they're more they're I think their their palates have opened and they're more adventurous, and they're trying. Yeah, but, they want to, but this heritage thing I think has become really big. I don't know, I, I don't know if I'm wrong to connect it with the success of Ancestry.com. <laughs> Maybe not, but you know you look at Kwame. Oh, oh what's his name? Kwame Oguchi. Yeah. Yeah. I love him, by the way. I think he's fabulous. Um, and yeah, and he's, the one he's got the new restaurant in uh, New York yeah. that, you know, where he's serving. It's not his whole menu, but he's definitely introducing flavors to his menu. Well, they're all his background. It's autobiographical. I mean, his mother was Jamaican. And we read his interviews him about his um, autobiography a long time ago. And, and uh, his... Um, his father lives in Nigeria, and uh, you know, I mean, it—it's all there and it's real. It's not somebody deciding it's going to be a, a good food trend and then starting it. It's autobiographical to him. What, what was that cool guy from Senegal of, who 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 had a came out oh, with yeah. a cookbook? But he, he was he was also pushing this grain called fonio or folio. Sonio, we've had that a lot. Um, How is the, I mean, fermentation is also, um, it's time consuming. I mean, these chefs that have these food labs spend an inordinate amount of time uh, in research and development. how is this possible coexisting with the staffing catastrophe? You know, you, nobody can hire staff. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of them, because they had, again, they had maybe a little more flexibility and more time to take on some of these things that they, um, that they wouldn't have been able to do before, you know, when they were busy. I think, you know, I, honestly, I think that they... Uh, it's the chefs themselves that are, or you know, that are pursuing some of this, you know, some of these, you know, fermentation or, 
um, introduction of vegan products or whatever, you know, in the past they might have been, you know, their expansion plan might have been grander or they might have been busier. So I think it gave them more time to go in depth. I do think that, you know, there are probably several restaurants that would cite examples of like we started this and then we couldn't keep it moving or going because we didn't have the staff or we didn't have mm-hmm. the bandwidth to do it. But, you know, I think some of these fermentation labs, you know, they're definitely in restaurants that probably weren't nearly as impacted because, you know, quite frankly, the, um, there's, you know, they're, they're usually at more upscale uh, yes, they are. Restaurants. Yeah. And they, you know, even though they might have had to, you know, obviously react to COVID, once they reopened, they were, I would bet they were busy again. And some, you know, in those kind of restaurants, their staff are a little less volatile um, because they're, you know, they're staying with them. Well, you know, some, some of your predictions are, are definitely um, come around again, like the uh, large format cocktails. I can yeah. now bring out my silver punch bowl again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? There was a couple things. You know, we definitely saw some central themes this year, and nostalgia was one of them. Um, Nostalgia to us is new to the younger audiences and the younger consumers. And Uh so it sounds a little bit older, like a little bit, you know, we definitely saw this. There was, number one, dining now is definitely, people want, you know, more experiential aspects. There's just this, just this deep need to connect, to socialize, and to get and to you know, and bluntly have fun while they're doing it. So the large format cocktail is this. You know, a couple of years ago, the thought of sharing anything would have been you know, the, you know, taboo. Um, but now it's you know, people love it and they love the, the the theater of it and they love the fun of it. And again, it's just another great opportunity to bring out some of the, those vintage punch bowls and yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> this um, wow moment. Like restaurants are constantly searching for these wow, gotta have moments, right? When you know, yeah. everybody's got to go to that restaurant to have that, and that um, I think was definitely you know prevalent in this year's report. Couple of th- couple of things about this, this same subject, Andrew. One one of the things we noticed in people we we know locally is cocked, cocktails which are temperance. No, no, no booze in them seems seems oh, like yeah. a silly idea to me. But yeah, see, uh, I mean, this man reads my mind, catching, Andrew. He's, he's catching on. <laughs> Andrew, that was going to be the next thing out of my mouth, but Peter, <laughs> my longtime mate. <laughs> read my mind and, and brought that up. <laughs> Talk to I, us about I, I, that whole temperance well, I, I, trend. I wanted, I wanted to add one more thing that Andrew might mention at the same time, and yeah, that's yeah. the incredible increase in the number of mini distilleries that are out there. We, oh, yeah. We, we, we just got a box yesterday of, of six 50-milliliter bottles of bourbon and... and uh, the ilk cocktails, you know, in, just in a box. I have them lined. I have them lined up. I'm going to drink them one at a time, just to make sure. <laughs> and he's not kidding. <laughs> and yeah. you know, they're they're super batch. I mean, they're like 180 proof or something. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, let me, let me comment on the, uh, the NA or the, uh, okay. the no, no, no non-alcoholic. Yeah. We, we don't call them mocktails anymore because it's the sense that their mocktail is uh, sort of become a little, you know, uh, that was when, it first, when they first came on the scene and every menu had one mocktail that was usually a combination of fruit juices and some, you know, some seltzer. Now there's these companies that that have come up with these NA products, and there's quite a few of them. The one that we you know that we work with a lot is called Liars, um, which is L Y R E S, and they that's the bird that mimics um, you know it's a, it's a bird, and it mimics the so in this case it mimics the flavors of these these gins and vodkas and bourbons etc. Um, why has this become so popular? Because I think the taboo nature of for people that, you know, have chosen not to drink or, you know, whether it was a health reason or, you know, or if it was a problem for them, um, it's not that anymore. Now people want the variety of, like, having um, a great drink, even even if it doesn't have alcohol in it. And so this has opened up this great opportunity to create new sections on the menus, to get very creative with uh, drink profiling, there's even, um, as you probably have heard, there's shops opening now that feature uh, NA wines, NA spirits, NA beers. Um, so one thing I can tell you is definitely for the mainstream. It's sort of like vegan is not just for vegans and plant-based is not just for plant-based. This is all about, you know, um, balance, like balancing out, you know, your diets and your flavors and so that one dish that used to show up is the vegetarian option. Now there's complete sections. There's there's restaurants, as you know, that are plant-based. So this is, um, again, a reaction to the mainstream wanting more variety, more balance, and, you know, and just that level of creativity. It's, it's actually a really exciting one. But I hear you. Mm-hmm. Like if I want a cocktail, you know, I want a cocktail. Um, but it's just a matter of giving people more choices. Yeah, there's that place, Boisson in New York. Um, that's all they do is non-alcoholic. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. say this: it'd be interesting to see, you know, what, you know, how the, you know, how these places develop over the years. Um, you know, but I, you know, because I can tell you that people that, that they're not just going there because they don't drink. Um, you know, but with Dry January becoming such a popular thing now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just you know there's just more opportunity in that world and it's it's you know it's giving people the choice um maybe on you know it's a monday night and i don't want to um get a little buzz so but i still want a you know a high quality drink with that there with there's some thoughts and intention on the mm-hmm. microbreweries micro wineries and you know this distilleries. um a lot of distilleries a lot of these are dream projects you know they're the um offshoots of somebody who might have left a mainstream, you know, company or they've had a, you know, a dream to do this. And I think, you know, the one thing, I think the, the one thing about the pandemic is that there was, you know, there was drinking and the beverage industry did very well. So there, there's definitely money to pursue these dreams now. Um, and, um, and again, the discerning public likes to know that they're one of, there's limited quantities, and they might get it, and they like being part of the, you know, of the, of the adventure that the distiller is on. 
So um, it's all about, it's, I, 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 just, I sound like a broken record, but it goes back to everything is experiential right now. They want more than just the drink. They want to know the backstory. They want to know how it was made. They want to they possibly visit and see it happening. It's definitely, um, our, our world has expanded to become a little more um, of entertainers, if you will, about providing great experiences. Right. Um, I'm surprised that we still have tasting menus, but you point out in your report that they're actually cheaper now. Well, there's there's rest. I'm not saying there's still there's still very high end restaurants that are doing very expensive tasting menus for sure. Um, you know, uh, there's always going to be that level of restaurant. I don't think that you know that's the French laundries, you know, restaurants like that. But I will say that a variety of restaurants now have sort of um, adapted this um, affordable tasting menu. We have a great client here called Trestle and High Neighbor uh, it's, uh, and Mama in Oakland, and they do 39, you know, 95 tasting menus. They have supplements, but even if you add a pasta course, it's still a very reasonable experience. Why are these so popular? Well, number one, you know, it's their value, and they're being done by great chefs. But for, on the restaurant side, it actually helps them because they can control food costs. They know exactly what they're serving. They know how many they're serving, you know, and so, again, less staff, food costs, but also um, giving people, you know, an affordable reason to go out on a Tuesday night. So um, I think there's this uh, sort of like another thing that we saw is this, the high, high and low aspect of everything. There's the high end, and then there's not – this isn't the low end, but I'd say that, you know, um, just – sort of creating your niche in the market. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to one um, chef restaurateur who said that it gave him um, a chance to, through the pandemic um, to test out the difference in terms of the quantity of sales. And, and he was doing more high-end than low-end. So he just switched, uh, inverted his business model, and he only does high-end now. Chase yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there was a lot of money made during the pandemic. You know, the, uh, you know, many people did very well, and they, they, you know, they now that they can go out and spend money again, you know, they're out and or they're, you know, they're they're pent up, pent up demand, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, now granted, the economy is presenting us some challenges right now, and there's a sort of like, oh gosh, you know, but I, my sense is that, you know. Um, people are still going to want to eat out, and they may uh, they're going to they're going to figure out with their you know disposable income what's most important to them, and you know I'm betting on that they're going to choose you know restaurants and food and uh, and social experiences you know that where they can be together because we weren't able to do that for so long. Well, I mean I hope so because I've never seen any industry hit so hard as the uh, oh, hospitality yeah. industry. Yeah, and we're getting, you know, sadly, we do, you know, we do, you know, we talk about that, you know, in the report at the beginning, but we definitely know that we're not, you know, by any means out of the woods here. Um, I think for us, you know, it's very important that, you know, that the, the world continues to support the restaurants, but, you know, we, we definitely look at, you know, um, concept clarity, you know, is going to be key so that people don't get confused by your concept and, you know, taking chances to to be more creative, but, you know, embracing this technology even at a higher level and just, you know, one thing 
again, I don't think there was another industry, too, that was more resilient than we were during this pandemic. Right. I was amazed. I was proud of the industry, really proud yeah. of them all. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, if we can, you know, use that, use it to our advantage, like we're, you know, we're, we're better suited to weather anything. And you know, this sharing the credit trend is true throughout the whole uh, food industry with all these collaborations. Have you ever seen so many collaborations between independent food producers? No, no, no. I mean, it was definitely something that we saw in big waves. Um, again, I love it because, um, you know, um, listen, as a marketer, collaborations are amazing, right? Because you take two different brands or to a restaurant and a product or something, and you get that extra reach from both working on this together. You know, each, each um, party is marketing it to their own audiences, and so, you know, new audiences are discovering you through these collaborations. The, um, so I think partnership marketing for restaurants is very, very important. I'd say that the credit where credit's due is really nice, too, because, you know, Again, during the pandemic, there was, there was a survival mode. And so these people that worked through this with some of these chefs, they deserve the credit. You know, yeah. they deserve the credit. And they, they also want to foster their own careers. And um, a restaurant is not about a chef. It's, a restaurant is about the team of people that make it happen. And so giving credit where credit's due is, you know, a really, I think, really nice and necessary um, as we move forward, and, you know, there's been a lot of factors that have impacted, like, you know, think about our social world, you know, what happened in the world over the last few years, you know, so um, people, you know, people need to be acknowledged for the work they do. Yeah. Well, I see all of this swirling around this one thing that's been going on for a long time and is continuing to accelerate, and that's the issue of healthfulness. Everything seems, everybody's pointing out how healthful everything is. How healthful? You mean healthful, like uh, good for Health. you? Yeah, nutrition, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, to, you know, I think to, you know, I'll say this. I think when you go to a restaurant, you know, you're, you're making, the, like there's fried chicken is still very popular. Barbecue is still very popular. I think it's, um, it's, it's personal choice and personal moderation but I think quality of ingredients, knowing that, you know, items have been made well, and even if, you know, quote, unquote, they're, they're high caloric or they're, you know, they're super delicious, the sense that they've been made well for you, I think, is even probably stronger than just saying that they're healthy for you, you know. Um, um, but, yeah, there's certainly, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you can say that the you know the vegan community you know which has a slew of products now as you know yeah you know, shoot, vegan, yes. it doesn't mean more healthy you know it doesn't it's it they're just choosing not to eat anything you know made with uh, animal uh, mm-hmm. animals but it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's more healthy um, as a matter of fact we have this trend about you know this and yeah you know, there's now bacon being made with seaweed and um, mushroom. You know, going away from the, the the chemical infusions of some of these, and you know, and going more. I'd say more natural. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly a health 
uh, aspect to eating. But, you know, it's, it, it, again, I think so much of this is about personal choice. You know, people always say to me, like, oh, I'm going on a diet. And I'm just like, oh, I can't go on a diet. <laughs> just moderate. Moderate what you eat. You know, like, don't deny yourself. Just How about portion control, you know? <laughs> yeah. Listen, here's, here's a little test for you. You, you yeah. say every year what is going to be the, uh, the food city destination for the year. And um, I do not remember what it was last year. This year it's Austin. Yes, yes. What was it last year? Oh, my my God, you're catching me off off guard now. Um, Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) I don't remember myself. I think it it was, I want to say, was it Charlotte? Um, Might have been uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. But um, I can get back on that because I I just can't remember. that's, I mean, 15 years of these reports, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Did, did <laughs> I just wonder, because I don't remember it either, so I don't know if it really was the food capital yeah. and the rest of the capital yeah. of the yeah. And this year had, it's uh, Austin. We've, we've had LA on the list. We've had, you know, uh, obviously, but we, you know, it's interesting. We Austin, Texas, you know, when we did our, our vetting, because, you know, it's such a, um, like, well, first of all, a lot of Texas, tech companies are moving there, right, which fuels the economy, which gives the chefs the opportunities to open up their restaurants and their projects. And there's just, you know, Austin has such a great vibe with the music scene and the, um, you know, people are, they've moved there to live there. And so, when you know, once that happens, chefs move there too to open yeah. up their dream projects. And, like Nashville uh, didn't yeah. happen in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, Nashville. Nashville was the city last year. Yeah, I think that's uh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nashville. Oh, what a relief! Uh, so, yeah. what, what a relief! <laughs> what a relief! <laughs> <laughs> so, so the trend is basically, you know, I think when you think about the, the the trend, like again, you know, you can say like you go to these places because you're not only looking for great food, but you're looking for great experiences, whether it be music or nightlife or whatever. But you know. As these cities, these, you know, these, um, maybe the I, second chair may not be the right word, but these up-and-coming cities, um, you know, a lot of these chefs that had dreams of opening their own restaurants in New York or Chicago or San Francisco, you know, they, they you know, possibly couldn't afford to do that there, so they either went right. home to where their homes were or they, you know, they just decided to move to a place because they saw it as an up-and-coming city. Um, but, you know, we definitely, um, you know, we, a lot for this one, we look at the Beard nominations a lot, and we see which city sort of trended. And we look at, the, you know, Esquire and Bon Appetit to see, you know, what city got more representation in a given year. And, and Austin was definitely, you know, definitely up there. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of information about restaurants cro- crosses my desk as well as Anne's. And the, the, the one that struck me this year gone by is London. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think more, you're right. They, have, yeah. they, have, they have more eater, eater about London as more restaurants recommendations <laughs> yeah, you know, so than any I, place in I the rest love, of the world. I love London. And, um, I do, and, too. You know, and, and I feel like London, you know, like um, at last is getting its you know, it's due, right? Because it's, you know, it's, we can say oh, that. Oh, wow. I mean, here's the funny yeah. thing for you, Andrew. I, I, I moved to London when I got my first professional job, and I stayed, and I stayed in London, 
and uh, I I dated somebody who was Australian, and there was one, there was one street, just as Oxford Street, that actually had reasonable food. The, the the rest of it was not, and it's just amazing to see the transformation that's taken place. Oh yeah, well, but I mean, there, there was some backsliding from my perspective with the pandemic because uh, some of my favorites just never reopened. So yeah, oh, yeah well, it's, it's been tough. My, my adult my adult nephew just went to London for the first time. He lives in New York City, and he had he had done his research. He had his list of restaurants that he was going to go to. I was kind of envious and like that he got to experience some of these places before I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made, it made me, it all of a sudden now it made me want to go back to London. Oh, um, wonderful. So, a little foreshadowing for next year's report, uh, just FYI. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, let's go together. We'll have a good time. <laughs> oh my gosh, we would love that. That would be so fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll get all the good places to do too. <laughs> so, so, well, we'll work on that, Andrew. <laughs> Maybe we can have two dates this coming year. <laughs> hey, so, so, some of us actually speak the language, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a friend who who went there to go to architecture school said he wished he knew that he was having a great time. He wished he knew the language better. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. All right. Andrew, um, again, uh, listeners, check out um, the the website for the predictions of AF and Co. And and, and, um, Car- and, and my other and, company, and Carbone and yeah, Carbonate Carbonate Group. Groups. Yeah, and they and, and they're I coming say, right along too, aren't they? The, the Carbonate team really takes the uh, the lead on this one, and so the yeah. design of the report, the the trends, you know, we have a we have a senior strategist who focuses, you know, for pretty much her life for five months on this report. Um, mm-hmm. So um, we're delighted that we co-present this report now. And yeah, of course, for me, personal pride in knowing that both of my companies are represented here. Yes. Well, I I thank you again as usual, and think about planning our trip, our, our yeah, eating to adventure to London. Yeah, let's, let's do go, it. We're going to London. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Wonderful holiday season and happy new year. And thanks for always including me. And you too, Andrew. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.